I just wanted to share with you a little email that I got this week. And it was connected to the amazing staff meeting that we had this week on Tuesday morning with our, our whole team who work on staff here at the church. We have Tuesday morning prayer at 7 a.m. here, and, and God's presence was just here so strong Tuesday morning. And then we go from that and, and go upstairs and go into our staff meeting. And, uh, and I, I had a lesson for the day, some leadership content that we were going to be teaching on. And instead, uh, <laughs> a worship service broke out. And uh, people started sharing stories of life change and transformation, miracles, healings that have been happening in small groups, like miraculous physical healings that, that cannot be explained that are happening in, in some of our small groups. And we just went around sharing stories and testimonies. People talked about how there were uh, stories of leading people to Christ last Sunday, like one of the stories where there were two people who were just uh, standing, like crying at the end of the service. And so someone went over and, uh, and they said, I need Jesus. And they prayed to receive Christ. Like these are the things that we don't even see a lot of times that are behind the scenes. Uh, and uh, I, I want to read to you, though, a, an email from our phone call team. Uh, one of the ministries that we have here at the church is anytime you know, people fill out a Connect card or newcomers who are here, that we have a team of people who, who make those phone calls each week, connect with those people, help them figure out next steps. This week, four of those phone calls that were made, of all the, the calls that our to team made, were with people who surrendered to Jesus their life last Sunday. And, and, they're, and helping those people take next steps in how to grow in Christ. But one of our call ministry team members reported this particular conversation this week. That last Sunday, there were two people here in town who were watching the service online with our live stream. Hello, everybody who's with us online right now. Uh, you want to welcome all the people who are with us online right now? We, and, but, you know, instead of coming to church, they were, you know, I guess in their PJs drinking coffee or something last Sunday, watching us on the live stream, and they felt the overwhelming presence of God, that God was drawing them to get in the car and come here at the end of the service last week to receive Christ. And so they literally came walking through the doors while we were in here. Uh, and so, uh, so we were helping them get connected, take next steps in their relationship with Christ. So this is a season where God's spirit is moving in a powerful way and we want to leverage that for his glory. And so I hope everybody, at least every family, got one of these when you came in, a spring of reaching out. Uh, if you did, go ahead and look at it for just a second. If you did not get one of these when you came in, we can get one to you later. Most all of this information is online as well. But this is just a little highlight of some of the things that we're going to be doing in the next two months to make this spring season an incredible season of outreach as a church. And you see that each of these things is marked either as a serve event, an invite event, or a rely on God in prayer event. So you see the little red tag beside each of the items on this. And so 
uh, we are praying and believing that these next two months are going to be absolutely spectacular in outreach and seeing progress made for God's kingdom and people finding new life in Jesus. So we just encourage you to pray through that, see where God is going to speak to you and how best to be part of it. Okay, voici la question, nous sommes prêts. Are you ready to study God's word today? Come on. I'm not sure I'm convinced. I think you can do get better. Go ahead and get a Bible. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 11. And while you do that, I'm going to give you one more chance to redeem yourselves. Here we go. Are you ready to study God's word today? Man, my hair just blew right off. And so uh, today we are in, in Hebrews chapter 11. And while you are finding that, let me ask you a question. And I do not mean to be facetious. I, I do not mean to be sarcastic or make little of this, but I want to press you on a question. Those of you who believe in God, have you ever actually seen him with your physical eyes? Have you ever actually touched Jesus with your physical hands? And if not, then why do you believe that he exists? If, if you have not used your five senses, which is how we tend to perceive reality in our world, if you have not seen God, tasted him, touched him, smelled him, heard him, then how do you know that he is real? Okay, well, we're going to get there. You just took away the whole sermon, man. <laughs> and, so, and so he said, I feel him in my heart. We're going to get there. But we're, we're going to see that there is actually even more depth to even that question, that it can be more than just a feeling even. And, and, and one of the things that amazes me is this innate belief this natural ingrained belief that human beings seem to have that there is a higher power. That anthropologists, even when they find these isolated cultures that have never been exposed to the outside world, and they find that somehow, some way, there has developed from within them a belief in a God. Uh, one little boy was growing up in a Christian family, and he got tired of his mother always telling him to wash his hands. You ever have that problem with little boys? And, uh, you know, she, and she told him, there are germs living in all that dirt, and you need to wash them off. Well, one day he got sick of it, and he said, germs and Jesus, germs and Jesus, that is all I hear in this house, and I ain't never seen either one of them. <laughs> and so he had to take his mother's word for it that germs are real, even if you cannot see them. And so how do we know that God exists? In Matthew chapter 9, 29, Jesus said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? And then in Mark 9, 23, let's go ahead and put those passages of scripture. Oh, are we having trouble? Go back. There we go. According to your faith, will it be done to you? And everything is possible, Jesus said in Mark 9, 23, for him who believes. And then there is Hebrews chapter 11, which we are going to look at today. Hebrews chapter 11, which we're going to look at today. There we go. Hebrews chapter 11. Stay with me now. Hebrews chapter 11 that we're going to look at today that uh, is really considered the definitive passage of Scripture. 
on this question of faith. It gives us one of the most concise definitions of faith. But before we get to that, in verse 6, it tells us why this question is so important. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Sans la foi, il est impossible de lui être agréable. That it is in what? Impossible. Not that it's hard, not that it's difficult, but that literally it is impossible to please God without faith. And so if there is a God, and if there is more to this world than just pleasing myself, if there is more than the eye can see, if there is a heaven and hell, and if the people in this world who are the most content and have found meaning in life and confidence and courage are the people who have learned to please God, then we probably ought to figure out what this faith thing really is. And so let's read the beginning of the faith chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 3, and then verse 6. We're going to read this out loud together, okay? <clears throat> Gonna get ready. Here we go. Hebrews 11, verse 1 to 3, together says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And then verse 6, here we go. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And when you read through the rest of Hebrews chapter 11, which I would encourage you to do, but we're not going to take the time to do today, when you read through the rest of this chapter, you see, let's go back one, you see, back one slide, you see that he rewards those who earnestly seek him that in the rest of the chapter, it gives us stories, examples in the Old Testament of heroes in the Old Testament who lived that out by earnestly seeking God in their life. Okay, so now let's go back and look at verse 1 again. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for. Remember the New Testament was written in Greek. And the Greek word here for confidence in different translations into English has been trans, uh, translated into different ways. I think the NIV here does a pretty good job with that word confidence. The King James Version says that faith is the assurance of what we hope for. Some translations say something like certainty of, uh, of something. Have, have you ever seen the movie The Sixth Sense? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, the movie by, I know, M. Night Shama, I, I don't know, in our house we call him M. Night Shamalama Ding Dong, but whatever the, the director's name is, M. Night Shamalian, is that right? Uh, in the sixth sense, that uh, it's about this little boy who has the ability to see things and perceive things that other people cannot see. And you remember the, the most famous line in the movie, it's that creepy scene where the little boy looks terrified and he says what? I see dead people. <laughs> and so what he was saying was the point of the movie is that he could perceive another whole dimension of reality that other people 
could not. Now, we all have five senses, right? What are they? Sight, smell, taste, touch, and hearing. And so that is the way that we have been taught to perceive reality. But in many ways, faith is like a sixth sense. Faith reveals things that the other five senses cannot reveal. And here's why. Oh my goodness, this is so good. Because get this. The other five senses are functions of the body, but faith is a function of the soul. Ooh, come on now. See, the other five senses, hearing, taste, touch, smell, those are senses, functions of the body, but faith is a function of the soul. We are more than flesh and blood. We were created in the image of God with a very real spiritual capacity. And the Bible says that faith has the power to move mountains. It can give substance to invisible and intangible realities. And so Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, now faith is confidence. Everybody shout confidence and what we hope for. And it is assurance. Say assurance about what we do not see. So we have two key words here in verse one, confidence and assurance. Okay, now, based on what we have so far, here is our definition. Faith is a personal conviction based on his word and my experience that gives me confidence and assurance that God will do what he promises. Let's read that together. Here we go. Faith is a personal conviction. Come on, read it with conviction. Let's do it again. Faith is a personal conviction based on his word and my experience that gives me confidence and assurance that God will do what he promises. A great example of this is found in Matthew chapter 8. In Matthew chapter 8, you have a Roman military officer who comes to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, back home, I have a servant who is paralyzed. I care about this person. This person is not doing well. They're struggling, and, and Jesus, I want to ask if you will heal my servant. And here's what he says to Jesus, because Jesus offers to go to the man's house, to make, travel the distance, to make the journey to go to the man's house to heal this servant. And this is so good. The, the, the Roman military officer says, no, Jesus, listen, I don't even think you even have to make that journey because I believe that you can heal, the servant says, basically in Matthew 8, because based on your word, Jesus, I've heard your teaching, and based on my experience, what I've seen you do, and also how I, I've observed how this world functions, that gives me confidence and assurance that you will do what you say, that if you simply speak the word, Jesus, my servant will be healed. And Jesus responded to that answer and said, I have not seen such faith in all of Israel. And so Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 to 3 continues. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see this is what the ancients were commended for. So it starts talking about the future and the present. Now he starts talking about 
the past. And as we continue into verse 3, he says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that it was what is seen is not made out of what was visible. So we're, we're going to spend the rest of our time in these two or three lines here in verse 3 and we're going to see something really, really interesting. In fact, some might find surprising that this gives us insight into creation theory and atomic theory. Okay, are you, are you ready to go deep? Hang on to your hat. Here we go. In Genesis, the Bible says that God created the world by his spoken word. Word. In Genesis, the Hebrew word for created that is used is bara. Everybody say bara. Bara. And so it, it is used in reference to God creating something out of nothing. Now we use the word creative as well, or creativity or creation. Like we use it often in reference to an artist. Right? A designer comes in and they, you know, take a room that is, you know, just, it's a mess. And then they put everything in order and bring in the right pieces. And all of a sudden we say, oh, look at, she made something out of nothing. Or an, a sculptor takes a piece of clay and molds it into a beautiful sculpture. But did they really make something out of nothing? No, they simply reshaped that which already existed. But in Genesis, the word has this connotation of what only God can do, creating substance out of nothingness. In Psalm 33, verse 6 and 9, it says, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Now, when I was growing up, in school, they taught us about the, uh, the Big Bang Theory, right? The Big Bang Theory, this is before the television show, just so the younger people know. And, uh, and so Christians, I recall many Christians being freaked out because they feared that the Big Bang Theory might somehow disprove the existence of God. But listen to me, don't ever be afraid of science. And here's why, because science actually hits the nail right on the head here. It is true, a big bang did take place. Psalm 33 says, God spoke and bang, it came to be. And so listen, the question is, did this big bang just happen by accident? That's the right question. Not just what happened, but how and why did it happen? That's the question. And I think that it is astronomically improbable that this entire world just happened by accident. See, granted, through microevolution, species continue to evolve and adapt. We know that. That is true. And in Genesis, also, the Hebrew language is not specific in its time frame. In Genesis, the Hebrew word for day, when it says on the first day God created and the second day God created, is yom. Now, sometimes in the Old Testament, the Hebrew word for yom means 24 hours. But actually, most of the time, it means an age or a period of time. For example, when you say, well, back in my day, 
We used to do this when I was a young person. You didn't mean back on January 2nd of 1965. You meant back in that era, back in that time frame. And so it leaves open the possibility that this micro-adaptation might have taken place like some young earth creationists think over thousands of years, or it might have taken place over millions of years. That is called theistic micro-evolution. But listen, either way, what the Bible says when you understand the Hebrew is uh, possible and consistent with the fossil record. But here's the difference. On the other hand, Atheistic macroevolution makes the statement that nothing somehow miraculously becomes everything. And that single-celled organisms miraculously become macro-celled, if you will, humans. I think that takes a lot more faith than Christianity. <laughs> Listen, don't you ever be intimidated about having faith in a creator because whether you believe in God or you choose to believe in a mathematically impossible gaseous explosion leading to the spontaneous eruption of living organisms followed by an unproven theory of macroevolution, either way you are believing it by faith. See, it is not a matter of faith versus fact. It's a matter of faith versus faith. And people who say, oh, no, 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 that doesn't sound right. Listen, here, here are the two equations. It is either, the argument is this, faith in chance, or it is faith in a creator. It is faith in randomness and the statistical improbability and impossibility of all of this actually happening versus faith in a creator who guides the process. And so let's talk about a logical argument for a minute. Which equation makes more sense mathematically? Nothing times nothing equals everything, or God times nothing equals everything. Let's be logically consistent, okay? Which requires more faith? See, personally, I do not have enough faith to believe that all this happened by chance. That's why I believe in God. And in the words of Sheldon Cooper, bazinga. And so, the second part of verse 3 gives us insight into atomic theory. Listen to verse 3. It continues, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Now, there are a number of different ways to read this, but I think one of the most uh, powerful thoughts that I see as a possibility, at least here, is, is this is one of the many places in Scripture. Oh, we're in verse 3. Let, let me do that again while you have it on the screen. So that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. Uh, this is one of the many places in Scripture where it is possible that scientists have to look at the Bible and be amazed at its accuracy in describing the reality of the natural world. The Bible speaks of things that science is just now beginning to understand in the last 150 years. The end of verse 3, where it says, what is seen is not made out of what was visible. Now, this was written almost 2,000 years ago, and we know today that the smallest particle of any element is called an Atom, exactly. And atoms come together to form 
molecules and molecules uh, come together to form elements or, uh, or compound elements. Do you remember this stuff from chemistry? Okay, now I am not a chemist, but I do know that atoms, which are the most basic building blocks of every physical thing, are so small that they cannot be seen by the physical eye or even by an optical microscope. You have to have an electron microscope or even an atomic force microscope. You see, it was not until the end of the 19th century that scientists even came to believe in the atomic theory of matter. And yet, get this, 2,000 years ago, God inspired the author of Hebrews to describe the molecular structure of the universe by writing that what the eye can see is made up of what the eye cannot see. Listen, there is no human way possible for a Jewish Christian 2,000 years ago to understand this scientific concept. Scientists did not even figure this out until 1,800 years later. Doesn't this excite you to see the power and wisdom in God's word that science and culture keep changing, but God has revealed his truth in a word that does not change, and we are just now discovering things through archaeology and through science that things that the Bible explained thousands of years ago, which is so amazing to me. God. And so, in, in fact, another one, and again, you have, to, you have to understand not just Hebrew, but the way that, that, uh, that the ancient literature was written, but one of the things that blows me away is when you study the expansion of the universe and how Einstein was proven wrong by Hubble, and uh, how then you read Psalm 104 when it talks about God stretching the skies and only in the last hundred years has there been this understanding of the expansion of the universe. I mean, it just, the Bible is amazing. And people say, people say, oh, I just, I just can't. It's too hard to believe in God. No, it's not. The easiest thing in the world is to believe that God exists. Because Psalm 19 says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Just look around. The day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they display knowledge. There is no speech or language where their voice is not heard. Their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the ends of the world. You see, the fingerprints of God are everywhere if you begin to see them through the eyes of faith. And the greatest revelation of God is found in the person of Jesus Christ. In John chapter 3, verse 16 through 21, everybody knows the first part, but a lot of people stop there and don't realize the rest of what Jesus says in this passage. Go back one. Go back one. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And that's good news, but it keeps getting better. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through 
him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's wonderful news. But then all of a sudden, the tone becomes serious when Jesus says, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. And so everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Have you ever noticed how people respond when anything in the Bible about sin comes up in our world today? How do people respond? Out of fear. That's what Jesus said would happen. We respond in fear because we're afraid that our standing before God, our lack of righteousness in his perfect and holy presence will be exposed. But Jesus offers this hope but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. And so listen, a person who is right with God no longer has to have fear of light because God, the God of love, has made a way for us to be forgiven so that now any goodness in us is not because we are good, not because we are somehow more special than anybody else in the world. It is simply because we have surrendered to him and his goodness begins to transform us and shine through our lives. And listen, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter how far you may have been from God, He is here today and He has promised that His forgiveness is enough to cover all that you have done that has you ashamed and afraid of a holy God if you'll receive it through what Jesus did on the cross. His grace is sufficient to cover your shortcomings. His strength is enough for all of your weakness. His wisdom is enough for all that you do not understand when you get into his word. His hope is enough to overcome any of your discouragement. His love is enough to heal all the pain of your past because we serve a God of new beginnings. That is our hope and our promise. Listen, listen. The Bible says the only way to come before him is in faith. To reach out and receive what he offers you today.